Hey there, I'm your host, Justin Owens, and this is the Can't Stop Moving Podcast, a deep dive into the life, experiences, and businesses of my very own grandfather, Gary Owens. Each episode, we discuss a different segment of his life or a particular business. He was doing so many different things at the same time, it was really difficult to go in chronological order. So you'll discover quickly that we go off on tangents and down random rabbit holes, but bear with us as I figure out how to interview someone I've known my entire life and attempt to tease out stories I've heard for the better part of 30 years. So getting back to uh, discussing things with these guys from the other concessions. You were going over other prices. You know, one other thought, poor judgment. Dan Lasser had about 15 mares and a stud from him. He, he, Dan started out as a kid picking up papers at McDonald's. And he said to the neighbor guy, finance me and let's go together and build some drive-ins that look like McDonald's. And he built eight of them in Dayton, Ohio, replicas of McDonald's and did real well. So Dan said to the neighbor, let's do the same thing with steaks, fast food steaks. Hmm. Neighbor said, I'm getting old, Dan. You go on without me. So Dan, he proceeds to build 3,200 Ponderosa steakhouses. Made 30 million bucks the time he was 32. Two. I got off track there. Well, I think you were talking about one time when Dan called you up about a new franchise. Oh, he's, he called me up from Little Rock. He says, Gary, you need to come down to Little Rock. I said, why? He said, there's a bunch of executives from Blockbuster, and, uh, and they're going to start a new chain. We're a chain. You could have the Northwest. And... Uh, I said, what's the name? He said, Wendy's. I said, I don't like the name. Oh, that hurts. <laughs> Millions. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not a good judge. Starbucks and Wendy's is my flagships that I've passed by. Well, let's circle back to the park uh, expo and I, I want to say forced negotiations. Well, on the price? Yeah. Well, I, I just said I signed a contract with Dean Guntelli that it'll be the same as the drive-ins. He said, forget that contract. I said, I can't do that. I signed a contract. Next day, Dean Guntelli calls me up and says, Gary, what are you going to do for prices? <laughs> I said, we already went through this. And they bought him off. He says, Gary, forget that contract. Now, didn't they offer you some extra incentive that night uh, if you went along with them and you charged the same prices as them? Yeah, they said, you come along with us and you'll make a bunch of money. And when we leave, leave town, we'll leave you. You just tell us where your dock is at your warehouse and we'll leave every water, three-quarter horse, water-cooled compressor. They were the best. Coplomatic water-cooled compressors. We'll leave everyone 
in the fair on your dock, plus anything else we don't want to haul out of here. Just come along. It's the last time I ever talked to him. I charged the same, and they charged more. And so things got out of hand. The newspapers picked up on it. Well, not, not so much that aspect. You kind of glossed over who these guys really were. Yeah, well, they met us. They wanted to meet me, and so Joanne said, well, he's up there at 11 o'clock, so at 11 o'clock they showed up, and they got... Didn't you have an employee with you? Yeah, a girl named Jink Schofield, and she was a teller at the old National Bank, and she lived in one of our apartment houses and managed it. She would manage the. We had a hundred units of apartments, so one one come vacant, Jinx would move in there and paint it, fix it up, and then go to the next one and rent it. And so, as she did some paperwork for us, too. She was a worker, and uh, these guys called and said, well, "We'll meet you at eleven o'clock Sunday night." Jinx said, "Who the heck would arrange a business meeting?" This important on a Sunday night. She said, I think I'll stick around and listen to this. So the Jinx stayed there. And when these guys got out, they came in on a big long limousine and they get out, and the driver's got his little hat and they pile out of that thing. A bunch of them, they got briefcases and their suits are open. They open up their suits, they got shoulder gun holsters. And he said, this is a mafia. Or oh, they said they were bragging. We own 18 sulky race tracks and dog race tracks. Not thoroughbred. They didn't. You got to be fingerprinted to own a thoroughbred racehorse. So they owned 18 sports facilities. Betting facilities and racing facilities. Yeah. Dog tracks. Sulky, sulky yeah. racing. And so they left a strong impression on me that this is a mafia. They were out of Ohio, and um, so we opened. So we we refused to sell to them. They wanted to buy us out, and the more they pushed, it became a deal. So the newspapers picked up on it. So I said to Daryl Stokes, one of our managers on North Division, I said these guys are the mafia, and uh, cops used. I used to give them free root beer. Or and free coffee. Or root beer? Root beer or coffee. So sometimes it'd be six cop cars lined up on their back row hustling our car hops. And so they gave me a ticket. And as they pulled in the next day, the girl said that'll be so much. Did somebody give him a ticket? <laughs> yeah, well, you're paying now. So Daryl, he continues to give him free root beer. So I, I happen to mention to Daryl, that's the mafia. So they tell, he tells the cops, just, Gary says, it's a mafia. Well, the, a couple of days later, the next day, it comes out in the paper, World's Fair makes a deal with the mafia. Or controlled by the mafia. Controlled by the mafia. New York Times. Writes this article. So, so he opened a fair. They own the parking, 
the security. And the first day we do like hammers are thirty five cents. We do five grand. So we take the five grand to the bank, and we got a three thousand dollar change fund for some stupid reason. We we doing that much money, we could have done it with a hundred dollar. So that night we put the money in a safe. Opening night, go home. Next day we come in, no scratches on the door, or anything. You open the door, safe's gone. So we tell the cops, safe's gone. They called a little while later and said, we think you got your safe. Come over here. And the safe was bent up, but the door, they said, prove to us it's your safe. You know, open it up. But the door was laying separate, but the combo worked and mm -hmm. clicked. My safe. They took that safe and they took the door off and dropped it from a walk walkway over the river. And then they dropped the safe and bent it all up. Just let me know that they were watching me. That they could get in, that they had the keys to your... Yeah, they owned a security yeah. company that had the key. And that the message was that they could... They crack were, the safe, you know, that wasn't such a right. common Just letting skill. them know yeah. that they were there and who's the boss. Now, didn't they, the city or the expo organizers try to cancel their contract and yeah. get them out? And there was a big deal about... Couldn't do it. Couldn't run know. them out. They'd signed a contract, took, the, took them 500 grand. But they were able to get... One yeah. of the restaurants. <coughs> Nixon came to open the fair, and so they they said that the mafia had the VIP lounge. They said, you're giving that up. We're not having you feed the president. So they gave up the VIP lounge. That's the only concession they gave to the city. But Expo kind of went on with without any uh oh, One you know, thing, any one thing happened is, is that got in the newspaper that well, I told Daryl and Daryl told the cops. Mm -hmm. So there was this young two brothers cops, Jerry McGugan was one. He was fired up, he was gonna run him out of town. Mm -hmm. And so the Chronicle guy, he gets his his nose in this. So he's following the story that the mafia is there. And McGugan's gonna run him out of town. And so they came to me and and said, Sterile says that this is a mafia. And so when they came, I had a meeting at Paul Bastine, my attorney's office. And they said, Gary says it's a mafia. And Paul said, Gary didn't say that. They said, well, is it? Paul said, no, Gary said it's not. He didn't say that. Paul said, this is a real deal. We better be careful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was amazing. Well, now, so the paper said, the only place to eat in the fair is Gary's A&W. So the boost. So Montana State would have a day there, and the governor comes and the university band, and so they'd call up and say, where do we eat? And the office would say, Gary's A&W. So they'd say, well, we're going to have the band and the governor and the dignitaries and give me 300 of us. So 
they'd send a check to Expo in my account for three hundred dollars, three hundred. I don't know how much money it was, and so we didn't even handle the money. We just cooked the hamburgers, and they played in the Boeing Amphitheater, and they marched down the street, past the edge of the drive-in. We'd have the hamburgers, and the drinks there. I mean, it sounds like it was a pretty special event, and well, we cleaned up. Yeah. Yeah. Now, didn't you guys also sponsor the People Mover? The Skyride. Skyride. Skyfloat. Yeah, Skyfloat. A&W. Yeah. People move over the whole fairgrounds. What was the story behind that? Because I'm guessing you didn't come up with the idea for it. A&W did. I called up Ed Weber, the president, and said, I can sponsor this. Are you interested? He said, yeah, we'll do it. So they, they paid for it. So at each end, it had an A&W roof and A&W signs. And every chair had A&W on the back of it. So we made a pretty big splash. Now I'm guessing this was before you came to odds with uh, A&W. Yeah, there was 2,550 drive-ins, and I was president of the Owners Association in A&W was going to experiment with Cannon Bottle. And I said, oh, man, this is a bad deal. They said, we'll run test, market test results. If it hurts, we'll take it out. And he signed a contract with with me. They said, they'll take it out. Well, it went over like an airplane. And just all of a sudden, went in a safe way at Lincoln Heights. They had a stack of A&W Cartons of A&W, 12 feet high. I mean, it just, at the same time, the World's Fair came in. And wow. and so they didn't run the test market, so we did, and it we determined it took a third of our business. So I sued them to take out cans and bottles. Because this, this was a nationwide yeah. rollout. Yeah, it really hurt. So they sued me for $4 million dollars. Or harassing them because I was pressing it. Mm-hmm. So the owners, councils said, it's going to kill us. And you were president of the North American franchisees yeah. at this point. Yeah. So they okay. said, we appoint Gary to buy the company. And so, because it was life or death. And so I'm negotiating to buy the company, and they're putting it in like crazy, and and uh, they decide to harass me. So they put a detective on me 24 hours a day. They're sitting up by the mailbox, 3 o'clock in the morning. I go up there. Joy and I get up, and we're going to haul horses to Kentucky. This car is setting up in the mailbox, so I go up there, tap on his window and say, what are you doing here? Oh, we had the truck running, and the steam was coming off the tailpipe. Tailpipe. Well, I thought maybe you broke a steam line. I was just worried about you. I said, yeah, right. We're 10 miles from town, and you think there's a steam line out here? And, uh, but it, they, every time I rented a, hotel room 
most of the time was in the uh, Marriott at Santa Monica. We had an office with had twenty three employees in that office as part of the A and W A and W advertising department for the franchise. Yeah, Com two hundred. We ran eight million a year through that. And we owned our own agency, and so I hired Jeff Rogers to run it. We had 23 employees in that company there. But every time you were traveling and staying in a hotel room? It would be a cigar in the toilet. Just I'd check in their cigar in the toilet. <laughs> letting you know they were. Yeah. They knew where you were. Yeah, they were watching. Well, and they tapped your phones. Oh, and yeah. Told you not to leave the country. And- oh, we had Weber. So... Ed had signed his contract with us that if it hurt, they'd take it out. Mm-hmm. Well, when we determined that it hurt, they fired him. Mm-hmm. And Ed said to me, Gary, don't leave the country. You're dead. Because at the time, A&W as a brand was owned by... United Fruit. Yeah. United Brands. They owned a Chiquita Banana. And they said... They said, read this, buy this book and read it so you know who you're dealing with. And the book was American, an American company. I got the book. And it told the beginnings of how they went into Honduras and South America, two different men. They'd recruit, jobs were hard to come by in the 20s. They'd recruit men in the United States, a thousand of them. They'd take them down there. 25 of them live. They they get malaria, and they're building roads and schools and churches, and, and United Fruit controlled South America. Paul Bastien, found, he was in the Peace Corps, and he, he found out about United Fruit in a hurry. Well, and at the time, they had, what, the third, fourth largest Navy in the world? Third, Russia and the United States had bigger Navy. They had those banana boats, and on the high seas, you don't have a commercial boat, don't have guns, but they had guns. In fact, they loaned John Kennedy the boats for the Bay of Pigs in Cuba. And that's who you essentially countersued for how much? $220 million. In 1974? Yeah. 75? Boy, did I get their attention. Because they knew I was right. I could have got them. You had a contract. But what a lot of people don't still don't realize is the A&W that's sold in cans and bottles is a synthetic yeah. blend. It's not the original, real A&W root beer. No, it's got roots and herbs that blows the cans up. Yeah, it ferments and yeah. explodes. And so you've got to brew it fresh daily right well you just we would sometimes make four or five vats in a day mm-hmm. you know uh, make it in a 40 gallon vat and then you run it to meet with carbonate put it in a carbonator where it hits the co2 gas carbonates it at 45 pounds instead of 95 for coca-cola mild and had a foamy cap on it Smoother, smooth, the real stuff, which you can actually still get in A and W restaurants, like at least here in Spokane. We know you can get 
the fresh brewed A&W root beer, but at Northtown, South Hill. I don't at know. At Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah, the, the combo drive. And then the, the steak, steak in on Division way up there. The steer in. Steer yeah. in. Yeah. But that was a slightly different name. Was that the Triple X root beer? Rochester. Rochester root beer. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Rochester is end of root beer. Syrup made by in uh, Lodi, California. No, that was the first drive-in. Anyway, it's the Serbs made it another subsidiary of United Brands. Well, and I mean, now I think A&W was purchased by the owners uh, within the last 10, 15 years. Two, two brothers bought it. I'll have to check. I think I thought I was pretty sure that the North American franchise owners had bought the A&W I franchise. I tried to buy it, and... Uh, the can and bottle was, <coughs> was screwing it up. And where I goofed up was I should have paid more money and bought it and then bought, had the can and bottled and distributed that among the owners too. But I didn't think it was just so much more money. I didn't think I could do it. Well, and it turned out, I mean, years later, you found out you were within a couple million. Of- real close. Found out that it was real close. But you didn't know. I mean, you had just done a what was it a circuit around the country to all the franchisees asking for money to help with the lawsuit right and then you're kind of at the same time making this offer on behalf of the franchisees to buy the whole company or the brand and i mean you weren't really getting anywhere with it and they weren't giving you any inclination that you were that close Some, sometime later i heard that it came out it was in a book yeah. Uh, history. History yeah. of A&W is in a book that I came real close to getting it bought. But, you know, I if I if I'd have got it bought, I would have had to run it. And I'd have had to move to Santa Monica where their office was. I probably wouldn't have left it in Spokane. Well, and at the same time, you were also, you had the apartments, you had the horse breeding operation going on yeah. and off and on you were running you off and on ran playfair a couple times 66 and 68 okay yeah well here let's uh wrap up for today and start again uh later how can we just don't do more while we're here <laughs> get her done not enough time in the day <laughs> <laughs> yeah this was great thank you and i look forward to doing it again uh in a couple days. Okay. This concludes a second conversation between Justin and his grandfather, Gary. To listen to the third conversation, tune in to episode seven. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and download so you don't miss a single episode. You can find Can't Stop Moving Podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. Visit us at owensfarms.com and interact with us on Instagram at Modern Farmer USA.